Hello and welcome to Imp's WWE Adventures podcast on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. You can help the network out by leaving us a five-star review. You can also give a donation directly through Red Circle and become one of the amazing community by joining the Social Suplex Discord. Link is in the description. Listen to the other top-notch shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio with Rich and James, Keeping It Strong Style with Jeremy Donovan and young boy Josh Smith. All Things Elite with Floyd. Wrestling Art with Chris Things. With Chris Things. Trish and Sarah, who did an amazing job powering through the horrors of the Vince lawsuit this week. And Tunnel Talk. My name is Matt Mayer, a.k.a. Imp, and this is your quick look back at the WWE week that was 30 Minutes and a Baby, starring Tom Selleck. I had my show all planned out, the recording all was a go. Then the Vice article dropped on Ashley Massaro. So I'm going to quickly address the story of Ashley Massaro. I've got a quote from, from WWE's original response from 2019, from their original statement, just to combat the, uh, the, they're not lying. Yes, they are. So to start off with, a Vice article dropped with more from John Laurinaitis' lawyer saying, breaking more news. WWE executives knew of a thing of which they were saying they didn't know of before. I'll say the kind of additional news to it is um, Vice News can report for the first time that the Naval Criminal Intelligence Service opened an investigation into Massaro's allegations in June 2019. That investigation was closed in uh, January 2020. Within the article, it also states John Laurinaitis knew about this. Other executives knew. And Massaro's case was that her uh, alleged rape was hidden. So in her thing in 2019, she was alleging that people within WWE knew that she had been raped and they were hiding it and here in the in this response here is being said that by Don Lice's lawyer yeah executives knew they knew about it so that's blow the lid off of that but the response from WWE previously was at no time was Vince McMahon or the management of WWE ever informed by Ashley Massaro or anybody else that she had been sexually assaulted, drugged, raped or sodomised by a military doctor with a nurse standing guard while on a goodwill tour in 2007 to US military bases in Kuwait. In fact, if she ever articulated such a claim to WWE, we would have reported it immediately to the base commander. At no time was there ever a meeting with Vince McMahon, Kevin Dunn, John Laurinaitis or other company executives in which she told them of such a claim and was instructed to keep quiet. And... Turns out, through John Laurinaitis that we've, we've learned today, through the Vice article, yeah, that statement was a lie. Part of this huge building thing where with the executives turning on each other, the lies are starting to come out. This is only going to grow. It's only going to get bigger and worse. Because I do know people within the wrestling media who have been contacted by papers and things. Like, this is not being dropped. I, I think, like, CNN or NBC, I think it was. I think it's NBC. Have got a team dedicated to reporting the Vince McMahon story. So, this is not going away. This is only going to keep going. What on earth is going to happen with this? Will it go into arbitration or will WWE not manage to do that? Given that one of the points is wanting as much as possible for as much of the dirty laundry to be aired out there. But that story broke, like, literally not long before I've been set to record. So I'll, I'll just read the statement from 2019, just, to, just so you can compare it and correlate it to the statement which has come out today. Uh, there were so many more updates. Like, I did my recording completely unaware that Vince McMahon was signing his the, the NDAs without company knowledge on behalf of the company. That absolutely blew my mind. <laughs> Because like, cause my, my dad is a former lawyer, he was a lawyer for the local council, and his first question when I was telling him about this story was, who the NDA signed on behalf of? of like, were they a private thing for a Vince McMahon or were they WWE? And I was like, surely they were on behalf of WWE, because I knew that they addressed Janelle Grant's time working at WWE, so that was surely it was WWE. So I looked into it, the NDA is part of the lawsuit documents, and 
lo and behold, yep, for WWE. So I just, I just pushed it to the side, whatever. Two days later, that this comes out. <laughs> quickly, <laughs> go to, <laughs> quickly get dad on the phone. <laughs> I was like, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, the exact thing that was your immediate question. Yeah, turns out uh, your lawyer instincts were correct. <laughs> it turns out, <laughs> oh my God, we'd never predict that. Anyway, let's not waste any more time. Now go through the rest of the week, talking about SmackDown Raw and NXT Vengeance Day. Let's jump over to the thing, the big distraction, what's leading into the press conference, which will have happened by the time the show goes live, but I am not able to record on Thursday. Of <laughs> all weeks to not be able to record. Anyways, let's do SmackDown. Let's jump to SmackDown. Matter of fact, I'm moving my own goalposts. I want that title. I want everything. And I am coming for it. I am coming for you, Roman Reigns. But not at WrestleMania. I mentioned taking counsel. Roman, one of the individuals I talked to, he knows you very well. Good God, this spark to look for. Cody Rhodes steps aside for The Rock, seemingly turning a horrendous decision into a moment engineered to pure perfection over the weekend as we led into Raw. Uh, like, don't let this distract you from the Janelle Grant lawsuit, but as the headline from The Independent read, why are toxic wrestling fans booing The Rock? <laughs> yeah, you people, you people. Why are you being so toxic and rude to this to this perfect idol of a man? <laughs> like with a Daily Mail talking about the royal family. He's just the perfect human. The wind and the leaves, that they blow perfectly around his feet. The way the, the light shines off his shiny bald head. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. Like, oh, look at the shiny distraction. Look at the Rock's shiny bald head. Look, look at him. Look at him with his big smile, his Hollywood would smile. Uh, but anyway, uh, the SmackDown. A promo in which Roman ran down the Raw title, in which Cody set his ultimate goal back into focus into Roman's title, in winning the specific title Roman is holding, only to say I'm coming for yous. Just not at WrestleMania. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> if you smell, out comes the rock, with his shiny bald head and Hollywood smile, down to the ring. And he just stares down Roman Reigns in a what a moment. It's like, oh, what a moment, finally returned to the WWE day. Ah, I'd missed that late 2010 sensation of making up your own threads to make the story make sense in your head. That little group activity that happened all the time on Twitter and forums, it brought us all together. They'd be like, well, this happened in 2017, and now he's over here doing this. So that means that it is actually set up, and it's not random. Guys, guys Vince didn't remember he'd done the same match for the last three weeks when he booked it for the fourth. Do you think he remembered <laughs> this random match that happened in 2017 when he booked this thing in tw- in early 2019? I don't think so. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem bloody likely. <laughs> but th- this whole segment, immediately put it up onto YouTube, it became WWE's most disliked video they ever put up on their YouTube channel. I don't know what the numbers currently are, but it just went up and up and up every time that I checked. It seemed to really garner a response from the crowd, which is great for WWE in terms of they're getting, getting interaction, they're getting people talking, and they're getting people talking not about the lawsuit. But yeah, so I still found it, I don't know if bemusing's the word, 
befuddling. <laughs> the, just the reaction of, what? It didn't make any sense. It really did remind me of that Vince era where you'd be building up a story, but then a thing would happen because, oh, what a moment, and the story's just tossed aside. It's partly why you had that rule of whenever a story, if a story ever started in WWE, you would apply a rule of, oh, let's see where if they're still doing it in three weeks. And that, that was just common part of the course, like watching WWE, covering WWE, talking about it. It's like, well, in three weeks, let's see if they're still doing this or if they're doing anything like it or whatever. Thankfully, that is long gone. That is dead. That kind of that's, that style of making the show died ages ago. You used to get the same match like every, like every single week. I remember at one point uh, over that like, COVID in 2021, Apollo Crews had faced the Hurt business for like four months straight every single week on Raw. It was some, or maybe it was even more ridiculous than that. <laughs> I just remember it coming out. It was like since June of like 2019 or whatever it was, he'd faced the Hurt business every single week for like months on end. <laughs> like, thank God. That has entered. That is not a thing anymore. Uh, but yeah, so the way that they did this, Cody Rhodes comes out and he basically he just says it. He lays it on flat. Like this is his goal to defeat Roman Reigns to get this championship. But then he passes the opportunity over to the Rock, and he's got such an unhappy mug on his face. <laughs> such a big grumpy frown. He is so unhappy. It's it, it just like almost like a defeated guy. Out he leaves the ring. So either there are the two words here. And do we, we know which card WWE have done because uh, rightfully people are talking about the Daniel Bryan situation. They're trying to push a match which the fans didn't want. They were going to go Randy Orton Batista. The fans were so much behind Daniel Bryan that that made no sense to them whatsoever. And Daniel Bryan wasn't going to face Triple H because they were going to do CM Punk Triple H. And CM Punk was already pissed because he already promised the previous year main, main of WrestleMania. But instead, Batista's in Guardians of the Galaxy. They've got to cash in on that. So Batista's now main event against Randy Orton. Two characters the fans are nowhere near as invested in built up these baby faces and maybe challenged Randy Orton at WrestleMania, but instead, here comes Drax. <laughs> then, with the with the Daniel Bryan thing, they then inserted him, their narrative changed. No, this was the plan the entire time. We purposefully announced a match which you didn't want to get a reaction out of you. It's like, okay, so that no <laughs> don't believe it for a second also including people actively involved in the storyline like in i don't know daniel bryan <laughs> going on back up being like yeah no it wasn't the plan <laughs> no 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 we changed the course when we saw the, re- the, the reactions were seen no, the, yeah, yeah yeah that's not surprising at all uh, anyway so this has got similarity to that which people are, have obviously brought up when I say people are brought up, CM Punk brought it up in the build-up to the Rumble. In my mind, seemingly setting up the fact that this time it won't happen. This time, Cody Rhodes won't have his opportunity taken away from us. And it's, it's, a, it's a typical TV trope, just to get you set up that the thing you want is going to happen. You do something like this with the CM Punk thing, where you're pretty much telling the audience, you're setting up for the bad story that happened in the past. This time, it's not going to repeat itself. Feels like a progression for the thing that happened in the past to not happen again. Only for the thing of the past to directly happen right away. <laughs> the, the week of the Rumble. Not even a week had passed. And immediately, Cody Rhodes is just giving his slot to, uh, to Rocky for WrestleMania. But WrestleMania was selling out without The Rock. He may, be see, he may have seen it as WrestleMania needs me, this big star, The Rock. But it was already selling out without him. He wasn't needed. Roman's a big enough draw. Seeing Roman toppled is a big enough draw already. The Rock wasn't needed. Like the quality of WWE was already shifting tickets. They're already white hot without The Rock. The only thing The Rock was needed for was distracting from the Vince McMahon uh, sex trafficking lawsuit. But I did, I did find this whole thing interesting because they some, seemingly made the same mistake again. Like none of the lessons learned. They've just repeated the exact same thing, and they've written themselves into a bit of a hole. 
at least with the Daniel Bryan thing, he wasn't in the Rumble and had to fight his way in. So they had that storyline there of the authority keeping out him out of the Rumble. When you look at the reaction of the people, they want him so much, you cannot deny me. And that's where, I guess, the basis of that builds up the B-plus player stuff to lead into WrestleMania. The thing that baffles me about the Daniel Bryan thing is they were getting the audience invested in his character all year, or at least from the summer when, especially when they really focused in on him with John Cena and Bryan at SummerSlam, that they heated up for SummerSlam. Then they made they focused him for Raw for the rest of the year as the guy for you to get behind, only to do the Bray Wyatt storyline to lead into the Rumble, and then have no plan for him to face a champion at WrestleMania. In terms of like show structure and the way you channel your audience's invest, investing, that made absolutely no sense. <laughs> that was just bad story writing, bad television writing. You control where the investment of the audience kind of can go. Anyway, he's done it again. <laughs> the Rock comes out and just takes Cody's thing. They had the out with Daniel Bryan, the whole thing of him not being in the Rumble, so they could use that. With Cody, they haven't got that. He won the Rumble. He had his opportunity. Then last Friday, he came out and he said, I am not going to face you at WrestleMania because this man is, and out comes The Rock. Like, I've, I've been consulting somebody. He's going to face you instead at WrestleMania. Monday Night Raw was like the huge course correction. For Monday Night Raw, it felt a lot like, okay, they've channeled this. Like, they've shooted themselves into a work. And they've obviously, if they're, if they're tweeting about hashtag we want Cody, that means they're not tweeting about the Janelle Grant lawsuit. So let's really lean into this. Let's really push this. And they can use this for the storyline for WrestleMania. So it's perfect. It's the absolute perfect kind of attention grabber. They, but because they, they've fit themselves into a hole. Because Cody won the Rumble. And Cody said that, came out and said, I'm not going to face you at WrestleMania. Then the match became that. And then the furthers built up offline of, no, this is Cody's moment. The Rock is just wrong about this. <laughs> and doing the Rock versus Roman should be... Is that is a match people really want to see? But the way they've storyline done it on the TV show doesn't work. Because it doesn't make sense for the character of Cody. If you're going to have Cody make this decision, you have to set it up. Which, obviously, when this decision was made to be announced on SmackDown, none of that was taken into account. None of that thing, it felt a lot like Vince booking, which is kind of, to be fair, that's the era the Rock has come from. He can just, in a Vince world, he can just come out and do a what a moment because things were dropped all the time in WWE. Like, it happened all the time. Under the world of Triple H, things are actually set up. And this absolutely sticks out as being the polar opposite of how the WWE currently works. It's not just that this sticks out in terms of not being what the fans want. It sticks out in terms of how the show's written. Like, this is not how the show's written nowadays. Uh, there's a comparison to like later seasons of Game of Thrones. Like the later seasons stick out because the earlier seasons didn't write like that. <laughs> if the whole show was written in that kind of pace, that kind of manner, those later seasons don't stick out. But because the first, especially four seasons, were written in such a meticulously planned out manner, when you then start jumping all over the place and distance from A to B doesn't really matter anymore. Things that you have previously established then just get thrown out the window. And WWE have, over the course of the past few years under Hunter, completely changed how, the, how they write their stories for their TV show in a positive way. There is now that thing called continuity, which I used to just, whenever it happened for Vince, I used to applaud it, it being there because he was so bad at it <laughs> by the end. So I really believe that's partly why it sticks out. It really is to do with the fact that the rest of the show isn't written like this. Characters aren't written like this in this world anymore. When an action is taken, and it's kind of like a what a moment action, it's been set up, be it with a promo segment, fire, and Monday Night Raw with Cody talking to Seth felt more like they were killing time with a segment to try and convince you that Cody might go for Seth when everybody's like, okay, no, he's going to show up on SmackDown and go for Roman. 
And they pretty much did that promo, except they then shifted gears to Cody to be like, ah, but I'm not going to face WrestleMania because this guy is swerve. What a moment. No, (laughs) no, absolutely not at all. And then the narrative builds up of we want Cody, we don't want this, of obviously against the writing of the way this has happened, how this is out of universe, the way you've written this character. It doesn't add up, it doesn't make sense. I This is a thing that I as a fan have invested in. Because the crux of it is, WWE spent two years getting their audience invested in a character and a story. Surprise, surprise, the audience got invested in the character and the story. It's what you spent the last two years doing. <laughs> it's exactly what happened. It's, just, it's not that deep a thing to analyse. That's just kind of what happened. I say still, it's hilarious. It's just hilarious. Anyway, that's Friday Night Smackdown. I've talked for absolutely ages on this. It's going to get edited to hell. <laughs> it's really the only thing we're talking about for SmackDown as well. Ba- oh no, Bailey, Bailey. Oh, but just quickly about Bailey. <laughs> that segment with Bailey with damage control. I thought they were going to play that out longer, but the way they played that out on a on a solo show was really well done. So just well done, well done. Your storyline was an amazingly Bailey playing off the Royal Rumble and then he's stepping up to set your road to WrestleMania. It made all of the character sense in the world. Anyway, with that, let's jump over to Monday Night Raw. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. So, world heavyweight champion Seth frickin' Rollins, St. Louis! What do we want to talk about? The engineered reaction, working like a treat, the opening of all really leaning into what happened on Smackers. Uh, the reaction, engineered or not, sending the crowd, Seth versus Cody, is one uphill battle. And of course, as we come out of the show, he absolutely screams, OK, you've got the press conference thing happening on Thursday. You've got The Rock there so they can book the tickets up to a god- godly amount <laughs> to sell the press conference tickets. This, for me, this was almost screamed that Drew is the logical replacement for CM Punk for Seth. Character-wise, makes all the sense in the world, and Drew turning into the ultimate hater against Punk is just, oh, it's just a chef's kiss to his character. <laughs> it just, it's the next step for his character so naturally, and it works so damn well. Cody challenging Seth makes no sense in the world at all, because Cody has said multiple times pretty much just that, I don't care about that title. I'm not going to go for that title. You've got no, we've got no problem together, really, Seth, at the moment. Cody has no setup, makes no sense, but Drew's motivations are so crystal clear. He's a hater, <laughs> and he revels in it. For me, in this promo, Drew was the sole voice of reason, albeit for his own selfish reasons. For me, the crowd reaction at the end really made this entire thing. The crowd, for me, they were so white-hot for the Cody and Seth, they really wanted to react to the Rock stuff, to the Cody stuff, the We Want Cody. They were really into that. They booed Seth Rollins, saying that he, he could face Cody. They booed the uh, Rock thing. They did the Rocky Sucks chant, which apparently did catch a few people off guard. Uh, but yes, the crowd for the rest of the show were just kind of tepid. I mean, yeah, WWE spent two years getting the crowd invested in the story. At this moment in time, it felt like they might not be doing this story. 
However, they leaned so hard on Monday Night Raw into the We Want Cody stuff. This, for me, was twisting the narrative. They'd folded it back into being a work. It felt like on Friday they, they made an absolutely huge misstep. A misstep is going to be really difficult to rewrite. However, they can twist it into a work over the course of this weekend, which they did really well, really hammer home the We Want Cody stuff, and that's kind of what this Monday Night Raw show was used to, to officially fold that back into the storyline narrative, to fold reality back in, to use Ursula Pipatch Wolf's The Unreality of Professional Wrestling, where wrestling becomes reality, becomes wrestling again. And that's exactly what's happened here. The further against Cody Rhodes wasn't an in-universe anger at a baddie character for doing a thing, but it was interesting watching this show. I feel like the big thing for me was the fact that they kind of set up the three different characters, but then none of them showed up. These are the three main characters that you should be interested in for this show, and then not one of them showed their face again until the main event, and it's only Drew showing up at the end to attack Cody after his match with Shinsuke. But yeah, it was a show used to fold the reality back into wrestling, Whatever they want to do with it, whatever route they've come up with, they can do that as well. Just some quick Monday Night Raw notes. Uh, so first off, Pat, Pat, mate, Pat, mate, like, just, just turn it down a smidge. Just, like, the, the company defending when you open the show? Like, like, we get it, we get it, we really do. Like, you did PR for Vince right in the middle of the date named in the lawsuit. Like, we get it, we get it. Like, but, but come on, just like, subtlety would probably be the better route here. <laughs> it's just... Instead of just really feeling like you're really pra- overly praising the current regime. It's such a good time to be a WWE fan right now. Yeah, it's because I noticed it last week when Pat came back. And Michael, after after Pat did his initial little talk, Michael Cole gave him such a look. Like, did you actually just say that? Pat kind of did it again. <laughs> it was just like, Pat, come on. Like, we get it, we get it. You don't need to sell that hard that you're that happy for this current regime. Or that the current regime of WWE is so perfect and so good, there is nothing wrong with it. When that is the polar opposite of what the lawsuit says, <laughs> or alludes to, or what we're kind of finding out over the course of time is probably the case. Like this is this thing is roots deep. This is not a Vince issue. This is a company problem, which uh, maybe a ho- whole lot of people are going to have to go for this to change. A whole culture is going to have to be eroded somehow. Anyway, uh, Becky Lynch qualifying for the Australian Elimination Chamber match. Uh, Rhea Ripley wants Nia Jax, setting up more Elimination Chamber stuff for Perth. Gunter with a lovely little Intercontinental Championship celebration, the longest reigning IC champ of all time at 605 days, setting up an interruption, and we got main event Jay Uso. So I'm assuming Australia, you're getting Gunter versus Jay. That'll be a lovely little match. You get to do the little little arm, hey, hey, (laughs) little arm things. Also, my nice little production improvements uh, now that the done is gone. Right, last week we got the uh, talking into camera little walks, transitions of the wrestlers, like the really unique transitions for each of the different wrestlers, especially like Cody looks awesome as well. This week, instead of earlier today, we got the exact central time more subtly in the top corner. So it said like 2.43 CT in the top left corner. I was like, oh, it's a nice little detail, which arguably to me is better. Or it's just different, so it feels better. Uh, we got Liv Morgan looking purposely into the camera during an, during an interview. Uh, sure, not mind-blowing. But the thing that is the great step forward is that, well, that's because the camera exists now and isn't a weirdly invisible entity, apart from the odd time that it wasn't invisible. And, of course, the absolutely amazing times where you try and get a transition cut in a WWE show, where it was, it was really weird when it happened. But the absolute best one was Vicky Guerrero opening a door 
into like a glass room so you could see her. And uh, I think did a shot from behind of her opening the door. Then a jump cut to her opening the door from the other side. But you could see the beat she was taking before they did action. So it was, she put she opens the door, then it cuts to the angle from inside the room and she stood still then push the door open. <laughs> when the action had all in the door movement, door's movement had already happened in the previous shot, he then cut to the inside room and she stood behind the closed door and then does the movement. It's like, what, what was this, shot on video? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> it's so strange. Uh, they, they edited this in video. Surely they didn't. It was like, it was in the 2010s. <laughs> we had computers. He didn't have to do that. Like, well, it's... It was so strange. It was so strange. You got so many production things that just made no sense. Again, like the Who Attacked Roman Reigns whole segment. And it's like, you didn't block this. You didn't storyboard this. You didn't do anything. It's just so strange. Why is it like this? Why are you like this? <laughs> uh, but yeah, WWE, uh, a lot better now. They keep using the camera angle of... I, th- I think they even did it with Pat when he was uh, dancing to Jey Uso. Where instead of like Pat being the centre of attention, yeah, you get Pat doing it, but then you also you have him in the left or possibly bottom left corner of the shot to really sell how big the crowd is. It's a feeling of the grandeur of the spectacle, which WWE's kind of always been about. So this isn't like a new production that takes WWE away from what they used to be. It's like, no, this leans so much better in what they've been. In terms of WWE being that spectacle show, the way they're filming it now is leaning into that so much better. Anyway, there'll be more little production things. Uh, You're seeing so quickly how much Kevin Dunn was holding back this show. NXT's even watchable production-wise now. (laughs) It's insane, it's insane. Anyway, speaking of, let's use that to immediately transition into NXT and talk about NXT Vengeance Day from this past Sunday that we all knew definitely was on, right? Mello turns on Trick. Oh my god. This was Trick's time, Trick's main event moment, even having Ilya down in the match, but no referee accidentally clobbered shenanigans. Uh, building nicely to the charging finish of Moscow versus Knee, uh, Trick losing out, pulling the old corner logo con. It's NXT. Of course they have to. But it was a nice setup with Mello standing behind Trick as the crowd immediately reacted before he'd even done anything. Just heard that. Oh, no. <laughs> and then he does the attack. But I thought it was decently well done. Because it kind of felt like, I was a, when I was watching the show, I was kind of like, I don't know where this the momentum's coming going to come from from the Trick-Ilia match. The crowd just felt a little bit tired, even though they were really behind Trick. But they no, they put this really, really well to get the crowd right back into the matches as all the little moments happened. Yeah, sure, shenanigans in AEW kind of get riled upon a little bit, but that's just because the way that their world is set up, too many shenanigans would be a problem. In WWE, their world is set up for shenanigans to reign. <laughs> like, it's the perfect... That is how they do their stuff. And this match falling straight into the shenanigans was perfect uh, for the kind of match they kind of needed to be. And in the end, I thought they... For me, it was the fact that they heated it up so well so that when you realise Trick and... So when you realise that Trick and Ilya are just going to charge at each other <laughs> for the final move of the match, just like, yes, perfect. I-, I love those endings, especially the way that I think like Seamus and Drew McIntyre do it really well too. They're like beating the crap out of each other. They're both bruised and bloody. And then opposite corners, they just stare at each other. And you, you're, they're just going to hit their finish. And it's whoever lands it first is going to win. <laughs> I just love those endings. And yeah, Moscow won out in the end. And that was then used as a little motivation like, you did really well, Trick. This was your moment. You stepped up. People now believe that you belong in this main event match. 
and used all of that momentum to immediately set off into the hot uh, team uh, splitting up feud, mellow attacking trick. Uh, nice and confusing for the main uh, main roster people who don't really watch NXT as <laughs> the main roster viewers. So yeah, if you only watch Raw and SmackDown and you've just been introduced to Trick saving Mello, yeah, Trick has immediately turned on Mello. Uh, but the stories within all three brands with NXT is a lot better integrated now. Like what happens on NXT is now canon for the Raw and SmackDown, where before it felt like this detached entity where the person running Raw and SmackDown didn't watch, didn't know any of the characters off, didn't know what was working for those characters or why, and was making immediate judgments. Sometimes just based on their entrance. Cough, cough, probably rude. <laughs> like, very strange. But I thought this was really well done. So a little applause here. A little applause. It was set up at the start of the show but why Corbs and Breaker beating Mellow and Trick to set the ball rolling. Hayes, the one that took the pin in the end. There was two notable things on this match of both of them, Von Breaker. Von Breaker getting his head caught in the ropes. Luckily, completely fine. And the amazing suplex into a cutter that looked just... Breaker's awesome. He's just so ready for the main roster. And to be fair, on the main roster, they're doing a decent job of making him feel like a big deal. Uh, with the like everyone, go, both GMs going for his contract, trying their absolute best to sign him. Um, yeah, really good stuff. Really good stuff. Uh, as for the rest of the show, uh, Dijak's been great on Twitter as of late. And it's fair to say I've needed a laugh. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> I just wanted to say thanks. <laughs> uh, like, the man absolutely flew for his Lego-covered table spot in this match. Uh, that match with Gacy was pure PWG mid-card fun silliness, or, or even GCW mid-card silliness. Like After the spots in this match, I don't want to ever hear complaints about AEW's fun little smudges. <laughs> when the, the WWE crowd ate this up. It's like, yeah, yeah, entertaining wrestling is entertaining wrestling. Like, it doesn't matter which corporate billionaire it's assigned to. <laughs> entertaining is entertaining. Uh, Liar Valkyrie and Roxanne... No, Liar Valkyria, who isn't Taya Valkyrie, and Roxanne Perez, who is Roxanne Perez, was was all right too. <laughs> I don't have a lot of notes on it. <laughs> there was some decent sequences. It wasn't... It was fine. Uh, also, Oberfemi is the man. Uh, Dragon League, the perfect dance partner to make the big lad look awesome. Uh, Oberfemi sells more than you expect him to as well. It's just, he's, he's got way more athleticism than you kind of expect him to have when he comes out as the big beefy guy in the way that holds himself. It's like no, no, no. Like he's he's a giver undertaker. He's he's the perfect man. <laughs> oh, I've definitely gone too far in praising him. <laughs> That's all the notes that I've got for NXT Vengeance Day. Overall, the main point of it was the whole menu and trick stuff. They started the show. They bookended the show with the start with the tag team match and the end with the tricks title match against Ilya. The crowd so invested in trick. This is the absolutely, for me, the absolutely perfect way to keep Trick feeling like a main focus of attention without him also having to be in a championship scene. I'm pretty much meaning that you can heat up this uh, feud with Mello, but then also when that's finished, you can have Trick face Ilya, or you can just move them both up to the main roster, because they are both already on the main roster. Unless this was just, the Trick running out was just feeding into the fact that all that NXT is canon, so sometimes NXT stars will just show up. Oh, also, it happened. <laughs> Tiffany Stratton is on the main roster permanently. My God, I, I need to find my next person. Do I even call it the Tiffany Stratton is ready award? I don't really know. Ever since I started doing this show here on Social Suplex, every single week, <laughs> I swear, every single week, I have said that Tiffany Stratton is ready for the main roster. The most ready person on NXT. One thing on Royal Rumble impresses so well, she's immediately up. Immediately getting a match on SmackDown, and she's officially on the main roster. So, yeah, more than ready, more than ready. I will find my next wrestler 
Is it already over February? No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Uh, anyway, with that, I say thank you for listening, liking, engaging in any form, any manner. Always appreciate it. Never take it for granted. This is the end of the show. I'll be back next week. And at the moment, who knows what I'll be talking about. There is so much stuff happening all the time. Keeping up with all the breaking news is kind of insane. Again, that's why I was saying I felt kind of lucky to just be a WWE-centric podcast. Because, my God, the wrestling world outside of WWE is also going through some absolutely massive shifts and changes, even just the past couple of days. It's been so much stuff. And there's there's a lot to keep track of. A lot to keep track of. But I will be back next week to talk about the WWE week that was. With that, I say thank you for listening and all that jazz of the list I've just said. <laughs> With that, I bid you adieu. Adios.